As believers in Jesus, it is our job to carry the gospel out to all the world. But that starts with each of the littles and the young people in our own lives. The Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. This is not all the training those kids need. You're not going to get it all here, and it's like, well, they're good to go, so we don't have to do anything at home. But it starts here. It's reinforced here. There's seeds that are sown here. And really, uh, pretty much any generation of humanity that you look at that ever changed the world started with the youth. That's how you change the world. Because how many of us that are still left in here are really able to be changed? Anybody? Show of hands. Anybody want to volunteer that you can have your mind? There's a few people and there's areas that we're like, maybe we can be changed. And we know by the power of the Holy Spirit we can be changed. But we don't tend towards changing and developing. We tend towards, this is how we've always done it. Some, maybe not quite that crotchety, but we have that sound to us where it's like, no, we've always done it this way. And so I just want to honor the, everybody that's involved in, uh, even up into the youth group, the senior high and junior high youth group. It's such a big deal to be involved in that. It's, it's a ministry of a magnitude that we don't really grasp. And most people that are involved in it never see it to fruition. I remember uh, a teacher that I had when I was very, very little. Her name was Fern Wise. And she, I was probably, I don't know how old I was. I was in my early teens when she passed away. And she had a meaningful impact in my life coming to know Jesus. And she never really saw it beyond, you know, when you're in your pre or early teens, it's not exactly always our most glorious years of walking in our calling. And so that was as far as she ever saw it with me. But she made a big impact in my life. Um, and it's continuing. There's a ripple effect when you sow into these kids, whether it's senior high, junior high, right on down to the nursery when you care for them and you care for the gospel going into their hearts, you're impacting generations and generations and generations. There's many people in here that have been involved in youth ministry here or in as many people as are here, other churches, and you are a part of that. Your, your impact in the kingdom is far-reaching. So I just want to honor everybody that's involved in that this morning. From the bottom of our hearts, speaking on behalf of all the parents, thank you. Thank you so much. We got a lot of things to discuss this morning, but I have, uh, I purposed in my heart that I'm not going to try and get it all done. If we don't, we don't. We'll pick up where we left off the next time. But Psalm 118.24, the psalmist writes, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. In our culture, in our society today, we tend to focus always on what's next or what was. As humanity, but especially in our culture today, everyone's looking to what's coming out next week. What's the new phone that's coming out, the new technology, the new TVs, the new cars. You know, there's going to be cars that hover and cars that are electric powered. And then, well, that's no good anymore. And we'll, we could have told you some of that. But then there's going to be cars that come out that do all kinds of other stuff. And it's the next thing. Or, or like, we're going to use automobiles for an, as an example here for just a second, just to talk about this little principle. Uh, you know, everybody knows there's a car show in Detroit City every year. There's often one in Toledo. There's these car shows. Now, what's never at the car show, like for instance, if you were to go to the car show this year, you're not going to see a lot of 2019 vehicles. And you're kind of snicker maybe if, if any of you follow, you're like, of course you're not. It's not new technology. There's not a lot of car shows for what is out right now, is there? But you can find car shows for what was 
Find classic car shows. Everybody, anybody here watch classic car auctions? Tremendous following for old things. Tremendous following for brand new things. But what is today? No one's that cracked up about their average, everyday thing that's been out for a while. It's just a thing. And what has struck me with, as a church, we can get wrapped up in the same thing. You can hear people ranting and raving and going nuts about what was. Like, well, the church used to, and harp on that. Or, you know what we really need to do? We need to be more this, that, or the other. And while both of those statements have value, and both of those perspectives have value, as believers understand, we ain't going back. Yesterday's over. And there will come a day when we won't see tomorrow. Whether it's However that occurs, there will come a day where we won't see tomorrow. But the one thing, the only thing that we all have in common and that we have a guarantee on is right now. Right now. Today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in tomorrow. Be glad in yesterday. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Today. Today, right now, we don't know if any of us will see the sun come up tomorrow. Jesus may be back by then. We might be with him in a a hundred different ways we may be there. But we have right now. We can choose to rejoice in it. This is the, the, I'll say the the background of what I want to share this morning. This is the day the Lord has made. Today, this is the day. Here at The Rock, we're always seeking to glorify the new covenant. We're learning to look for Jesus as we read and study Scripture. Much of Scripture, and we, I'm not going to harp on this a bunch this morning, but most of, or many times Scripture is taken out of context, and we look for ourselves in it. We read a story of Moses in the Red Sea, and it's like, what's your Red Sea today? We're going to cross the Red Sea. What's your Red Sea today? And we're learning at the rock. We don't get it always perfect, and there are layers of application. We know there's only one accurate interpretation of scripture but there are many applications to it and so we're learning to look look at scripture and always look for Jesus always look for a revelation of the new covenant you guys familiar with that we've we've talked about it a lot and especially in the last year we've really looked at finding Jesus in everything that we read and so I'm a little because of that I'm a little uh, a little uncomfortable moving into what we're going to talk about this morning because We've spent a year talking about not looking for us, but there are places in Scripture where there's instruction given to us as New Covenant believers. There's places in Scripture where it's like, this is for you, this is an instruction, this is a way to be, this is a thing to do. There is that in Scripture, it's just not all of Scripture is that. We're supposed to be, Paul instructed Timothy, to be a steward, to be rightly dividing the word of truth, to be able to lay things and say, that's for me That was for them. I'm not going to take someone else's medicine, but I'm going to look for Jesus in that story. Does everybody follow that so far? There are glimpses we get of New Covenant believers' roles in this age of grace. We're going to look a little deeper into this for today. Remember, today is the day. This is the day that we got to live. We already lived yesterday. We're not going to go back and rehash that, and we're not made it to tomorrow yet. So we're going to live today. We're going to look a little deeper into each of our roles in this thing called the church, this family business 
that we have inherited in Christ Jesus. Now, some of you might have just got a little offended. Well, the gospel's not a business. I 100% agree there's tons of people all over the world that have made it into a business. It is not a business. But the, I use that depiction or description to explain we inherited this, and now it's ours to care for. You didn't earn it. You didn't earn the gospel because you came to church enough. You didn't earn the gospel because you quit sinning or you sinned a little bit less than you did the day before. You didn't earn anything. It was a free gift. It was something that you and I have had the opportunity to inherit. Once you inherit something, it's yours to manage. It's yours to disperse. It's yours to share, to bless, to apply, to function. If it were a business, it would be yours to operate. This church, Big C Church, not just the body at the rock, this church that we are born into as believers today is now ours to operate. We've talked uh, in depth, little by little, over the last several years about each of us being unique parts of a greater body. This morning as we embark on our voyage of 2023, I'd like to offer an invitation and an encouragement to each of us this morning. We've spoken much about the way the church body functions. We've talked in depth about each of us being unique and how one is not greater than another. Is everybody aware of that? Like here at The Rock, and I believe church-wide it's supposed to be this way, it's not always this way, there is no one in this room, in this family, that is a greater role than anyone else. Someone that is speaking all the time is not greater. Someone that is always doing sound and lyrics. They're not greater than someone who is reading the, the lyrics and listening to the sound. We are all part of the body, just as my left pinky finger is not greater than or less than my right thumb. They're both important for unique things. We're a body, and it's important that we learn to function as a body, and we are. I look across this body, and I'm like, I'm so encouraged by all the participation that is represented here. Nearly all ministry is designed to take place outside of these walls, though. We're supposed to function as a body here. It's really important that we're here. But nearly all ministry is to take place outside these walls. Our coming together is important for the health of each part of the body and for the health of the whole. Does that make sense to everybody? For each of you, it's important to be here. And for the greater, it's important that each of you are here. We're building each other up. We're sharpening, as iron, Proverbs talks about, as iron sharpens iron, so one man, one person sharpens another person. Takes off some of the rough edges. Makes us better at what we're actually called to do. Um, I just want to talk about this because I think sometimes in the age of grace, especially in the grace revolution that we're all participating in, grace has been revealed uh, clearer than it has been maybe in the past recently, is... Uh, we can get to the point where it's like nothing matters because I'm right with God. It's, I'm right with God. I believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are 100% right. You believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing attached to that that's like if you believe and then you fill in the blank, make up. That's what a lot of the church has done. We, there's a blank after that. Fill it in. If you believe in Jesus and do X, Y, Z, then you're right with God. That's not how it is. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, Period. That's the gospel, folks. That's the gospel. Jesus did all of the blanks that were after that. He did it all. But what that can sometimes breed in us 
or what can sometimes happen over time is this laissez-faire, doesn't really matter, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't, maybe I'll participate, it doesn't really matter, because I'm right with God, which eternally, spiritually speaking, you got it. You're right with God. But what did I just say? It's important for the body, the bigger body, and for you specifically, each part, to be a part of it. Our bodies are, you know, Paul used our bodies as a metaphor, and I'm going to use just a little glimpse of it. Uh, has anybody ever heard of poor circulation? That's a bad deal. That's, like, my circulation's, uh, um, I'm not speaking this prophetically, this is more like a news, uh, what actually has happened is I've got some frostbite on some of my fingers and toes different times, and so the blood doesn't all flow just 100% all the time, so I get cold. And if you, if you operate with poor circulation long enough, eventually, what do you get? Gangrene. And then the thing, whatever it is, hand, foot, toe, ear, whatever, falls off. OFT, oft. I was homeschooled, so I can spell it that way. <laughs> if a body develops poor circulation, it makes everything worse. You know, it can affect the health of the rest of your body. If you get gangrene in your left hand, you know, it's, it's somewhat entertaining. It's like, oh, it fell off. You're not far behind. You get gangrene bad enough that a, a limb falls off, the rest of you's falling off pretty directly. You don't survive that real long. Does that make sense? It's a health issue. Circulation is really important. There's people that that's all their whole job is about blood circulation. And they're, you know, there's all kinds of treatments and all kinds of things, and they got all these side effects and all this stuff. But it's important. We know it's important. Circulation is really important. When you see someone, anybody ever seen anybody right before they uh, toss their cookies? And their face just goes white. You know, there's an absence of blood flow. When your face goes white, your body's like in panic mode. It's like we don't have blood to spare for their color. We're using it for other stuff. It's like you just go completely white. It's not healthy to have poor circulation. When you apply that to the body of Christ, it's, this is circulation. And even more than this right here, it's that back there. It's, you know, we live in the age of connectivity, Everybody's got a phone. Some of you are on them right now, Tom. And you can use your phone to reach out and communicate and stay connected. It's blood pumping. It's words being spoken. It's, you're good, bro. I know you were looking at scripture. I know. That's good. It's, we, are, we live in this age where blood flow should be easy. And yet, sometimes we isolate and we forsake. The author of Hebrews talks about uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner or the habit of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day, capital D, approaching. The day of the Lord is approaching. You know we're closer to the Lord's return today than we were yesterday. It's coming. In fact, there's a greater probability that each of us sees the Lord return from this planet before we go in the ground than there is after. That's lost on some of you right now. It's, well, no, because every, you know, death and taxes, well, that's not in the Bible. There's a greater probability 
By just statistical averages here, church, okay, Jesus was lived and died 2,000 years ago. So each day his return has gotten closer. Generation has lived and anticipated it. Generations have lived and anticipated it all through time. To get to where we are today, there's a greater chance we see him from, we leave from the top of the ground than we leave from in the ground. Statistically, that's exciting. That's the, I mean, that's the, we don't always anticipate, we spend most of our lives anticipating death. We got to get life insurance. I'm for life insurance. I'm not mad at anybody that has life insurance. But, well, that's, we're banking on dying. I'm banking on Jesus is coming back. He's going to be back. Before, anyways, that's a side note. Being together, functioning as a body is really important for our health. Sunday mornings or whenever the church meets is not, however, the primary focus of ministry. When ministry takes place, it's the gospel going forth through each of you and I as we're out in the world. That's how the gospel's supposed to work. We've kind of got that twisted up a little bit in the church. Over time, it's gotten easier. Rather than going and telling somebody about Jesus, it'd be maybe easier if I just go bring them here. Then someone else can do it. Maybe the preacher could do it, or the worship leader, or the greeter, or somebody at church could do that job. And it's, it's strange how much of the church functions where our goal for outreach is bringing people to this place. This is not an outreach place. This is a place for us to sharpen one another. What's the purpose of something being sharp? We think about it's like, well, as, as, iron, as iron sharpens iron, so One man will sharpen another. For what purpose? Why would you sharpen your knife? I have this pet peeve of dull knives. I do not like them. I cannot stand a dull knife. They're more dangerous. They're ineffective. They're ineffective for the purpose that they are a knife. A knife is sharp for the purpose of cutting. We are to be sharpening each other for a purpose greater than us being sharp. Gathering together, we're just, let's just sharpen each other so we can sit in the drawer sharp. That's not what it's all about. We're going to look into an early church story of this this morning. No one, this is another little application of this, but I want to encourage you with this. No one would save their flashlight battery only to turn it on and shine it once we've gotten to a building full of light. That is, in fact, ridiculous. The opposite is actually true. And how many of you as parents, anybody ever take their young children camping? The whole point of camping is a flashlight in a tent. It's not about sleep when you're a kid. It has nothing to do with sleep. But it's about flashlights in a tent. And there is nothing quite like having a flashlight in the dark. It is power that they cannot imagine. Because that's dark over there, boom, now it's light. That's the whole point of taking your kids camping is with a flash. It's, but how many of you ever taken, you, your kid is like, you know, you put the second set of batteries in for the night. It's like three in the morning. You get to six in the morning. You're ready for some coffee because you didn't sleep much. And you get in the house where we have electric, electric lights. We turn the lights on. And what's still on? The flashlight. We've forgotten about it now because the lights are on. We set the flashlight down. And also they're exhausted at that point. Our lights are designed to shine in the darkness. The purpose of flashlights is not to use in here. In fact, if I looked out there and all of you had your little flashlight on on your phone, that's like, we got lights on, folks. You can save your batteries. Turn them off. Save your batteries. Sharpen your knife for what? 
Sharpen your knife to be used. Save your batteries. Shine your light in the darkness. Does this make sense to everybody? This is a charging station. We charge our batteries here. We encourage and exhort one another, as the author of Hebrews talks about. Exhort, let's get together. Let's come together so that we don't find ourselves in the dark with no light to shine. This is a charging station to go out. For us to be in shape and ready to turn our lights on, this fellowship and time spent together is of the utmost importance. Each of our roles in this particular body functioning are important. None are greater or less than, and also, none of them are to be defining roles. This is a little different. You probably never, I've never heard anybody preach this quite this way. If you got your Bibles, you want to turn to Acts chapter 6. We're going to read the first 15 verses of this, and we're going to look at a situation where a person's role didn't define them. There's many roles being fulfilled in this body right here, in this Revelation Rock family. There's many roles, very practical roles, but they are not to be defining of our ministry outside of this church. We'll pick up in verse 1 of Acts chapter 6. Now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Daily distribution of food is what they're talking about. In, this, in the culture of the early church, they were so ready for Jesus to get back that they're like, I have no need for all this stuff. Let's put it all together. He'll be back next week. Everybody will have something to eat, and that's how we'll live. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, quote, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve the tables. In other words, they didn't want to become waiters. Therefore, seek out from among you seven men of reputation or of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In verse 3 there, and we don't normally do this. Normally I read through it all and then we go back, but I just want to draw a few things out. How many of you, if we had this discussion here right now, that there's some people that are not getting fed, that need to get fed. We're all eating together here at that red table every week, which would actually be really good food. I would like, that would be a fun thing. But if there was somebody that wasn't getting fed, and I asked for a show of volunteers, is there somebody who's full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, that would be like to be appointed over this? How many of you, and I'm just, this is just a, this is a rhetorical question. Nobody has got to raise their hand. But how many of you would say, you know what? <clears throat> That's something I can do. Because there's not one of these on you if you're back there managing food uh, you don't have to play an instrument. It's just a matter of making sure people can get fed. I can do that. Anybody ever heard, ever, maybe felt that way? You maybe, maybe it's here or at another church, wherever you grew up or participated, or, where it's like, don't really want a speaking job. Maybe I can do, I'll do the food thing. Okay, just, just, just think about this as we read this. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Like, how hard is it to screw that job up? Make sure everybody gets fed. Okay, there's 100 people. We need to make 100 sandwiches. Everybody gets fed. No problem. Hard to screw that up. Verse 5. And there's no pressure. It's not like, well, you got to prepare a message. you got to teach things. you got to have a big, deep understanding of the word of God. That's just sandwiches. 100 people, 100 sandwiches. Verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Everybody said, that's a good idea. So they chose Stephen 
a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. They took this pretty seriously. This is a pretty, it's like they didn't want this to be a flippant thing. They took it very seriously. They prayed about it. They laid hands on them. Verse 7 goes on. We've moved on from this. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Wait, wait a second. That dude's in charge of the food. I wonder if this is a tight, yeah, Stephen. It does say Stephen was full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Apparently he got out of his lane and he's out doing signs and wonders among the people who are supposed to just make sandwiches. Verse 9, then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, those from Sicily and Asia, disputing with Stephen. So he's got so far out of his lane he's disputing with people from the synagogue. They were not, but they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Verse 11, then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. They came upon him. They seized him and brought him to the council. Verse 13, they also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not seek to cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. Verse 15, and all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. When Stephen is preached in the church today, we usually begin in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, where we usually preach Stephen from. 6, 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. That's a great place to start. And then it goes... I mean, as far as his life on this earth, it kind of goes south from there. He preaches an incredible message, and by the end of chapter 7, he's martyred. It's the first martyr recorded in the, new church, in the first century New Covenant church. And often, his martyrdom overshadows the life that he lived and the ministry that he fulfilled. You see... When Stephen was available to do the seemingly menial tasks of serving and overseeing food, he was so powerfully used in his day-to-day life that he invoked the wrath of the religious elites. He was not defined by his role. In fact, his role propelled him. He participated in the church. His faith became an active thing. I can take care of that. I can make sandwiches. But he didn't say, I can make sandwiches, box checked, I'm participating in church, I am donezo. Out into the world to just hopefully not get noticed, because they were persecuting Christians at this point in time. They were stoning them to death. And he didn't say, you know, I can just, I'll just make the sandwiches, give them to all the people, make sure everybody has a sandwich, and then I can go back to my little life. Do my thing keep my head down. I might get noticed. No. It says in verse 8 that Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. 
His ministry didn't stop with the sandwiches, did it? In fact, the sandwiches was, it's almost a, it is, when you, if you were to write a book about Stephen, it would almost be just a footnote. The only reason we know who he is is because he was on the sandwich committee. But then he goes and does all these incredible things. It's their hand in hand, church. Our roles in this body, as we come together, at, and I'm talking specifically at Revelation Rock, whatever your role is, whatever the Lord has tapped you for, it's important. It matters to make the sandwiches for the 100 people. We got a ton of you are involved in all sorts of things that maybe when you describe your role here seem menial. Maybe you're involved in cleaning stuff up, making sure that there's communion underneath the celebration sign, putting up the Christmas decorations, setting up sound, running lyrics. Most people don't know, except I usually reference them and talk to them. Most people don't know who runs the lyrics. It's like, well, they just are there. The songs probably run the lyrics. No, somebody runs them. It might seem menial. Maybe you straighten the rows of chairs when you come in. And, and that's great. It's super important. There's not a role greater. There's not, the person in the back is not less than the person in the front or greater than. We're all together. But church, our role here, since this isn't the primary place for ministry, this isn't the primary way that ministry takes place. Super important that we sharpen each other so that when we go out and we are ready to cut whatever we're to cut, we're sharp. Our lights, batteries are charged so when we go out into the darkness, we're ready to shine. But make no mistake, church, the shining is what we're here for. This is not what we're here for. This is awesome. This is important. And so my message this morning is twofold. My encouragement this morning is twofold. But before I get to the twofold, I have one more thing I want to share. So, you might be here this morning and think, I thought this was pressure-free, performance-free, Christ-infused atmosphere. This does not sound like that. It is pressure-free. You don't have to participate. No, no less than if you inherited a multi-billion dollar business from your parents, you don't have to participate. There's no obligation. You're not going to get kicked out of the kingdom of heaven. You're, the Lord's not going to say, well, I wanted you, but only if you worked for me. No, you're his child. But as his child, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17, I'm going to read through this quickly. And I got a couple more things I want to talk about this. We are co heirs. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many of you are as led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, or Papa, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ himself. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. You see, we inherited the kingdom of heaven. This is underpreached today. You inherited it past tense. There's a whole bunch of people that are, when we get the sweet by and by, and I'm for the sweet by and by, I'm looking forward to meeting Jesus face to face. But we inherited everything in heaven now. It belongs to you. You are illegal, because what does it take to inherit something? Anybody here ever inherited anything? If you have, well, don't raise your hand. We understand the principle of inheritance. If I was to leave Todd, my combine, Everyone here knows that right now, that is not his combine. But as soon as I die, 
he gets a cherry 6620 John Deere combine, which he will promptly scrap. But it becomes his when I die. When did Jesus die? 2,000 years ago, folks. What you inherited, you inherited already. You get born again, it belongs to you. That's, it's not this, well, hopefully, hopefully I'll someday inherit. If you're hoping to inherit something else from Jesus, I got another thing coming. You already got it. That's, you got what he had to give you is yours now. You are an inheritor today. You're a co-heir with Christ. And as inheriting that, this is the whole thing. The reason the church doesn't want to preach participation or a bunch of the church doesn't want to preach participation is because we don't want anybody to feel pressure and offense. We don't want them to leave. Because what if they come and they're like, well, they wanted us to do stuff there. We're going to leave. What kind of an organization do you want to participate in? We don't want to have anything to do. It's, you don't have to do anything. But do you really want to be part of that weak sauce of an operation where there's, there's nothing for you to do? There's, there's like 12 people and they're going to do everything in the early church. So everybody come be part of it. They knew there was no growth. If those 12 guys were going to manage everything, it wasn't going to grow. They were going to reach a, what do we call it today? A growth ceiling. They get to a certain point. Because there's only so much that 12 guys can manage. There's only so much that 12 guys can manage. So they're like, we got to get more people involved. So they tapped people. They drew these seven guys and they're like, this is a big deal. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray about it. We're going to lay hands on you and commission you to this job within the church. But obviously they did not view that job as the end all be all of their role in ministry. That was just their participation in the family. That was just, we got something to do, and it matters. There's a reason that I'm preaching this this morning is we are full of opportunities here. This is a big deal. The other reason I'm preaching it this morning is this ain't all there is. Does that make sense? This is not all there is. You can say, well, and I hear this. I've heard this my whole life, and just recently the Lord has really opened my eyes to where I can see the falsehood that is in this belief system. And I, I, maybe some of you have carried this belief system. Maybe you have it with you here today. Maybe you know some people that have walked in this where I'm doing my thing at church and that's my involvement in ministry. I, I mean zero condemnation, church. I'm like this much condemnation. I want to help us to see this is not ministry. Ouch. That hurt a little bit. Ministry's all through that little door at the back. Now we can minister to each other, and it's important. I'm for ministering to each other, but I'm talking about the gospel going forth does not, this isn't it. It's all of you, all of these chairs filled with all these people that are go out into the world, and you have conversations with everybody all over the county, all over the country. You go out, and you re-present. Present again the gospel represent Jesus Christ. Be ready always. Paul instructs us to be ready always to give an answer, a reason for the hope that is within us. Be ready, sharp, not to, not to lay in the drawer. I'm just a very sharp knife, and I hope no one ever gets me out of the drawer. When you leave here, you're out of the drawer. You got a job. When you leave here, turn that flashlight on. Be ready. Have the gospel on the tip of your tongue. Rehearse, recite, rehearse, recite the gospel. Not because you're trying to earn anything from anybody. 
This is what I, this, it gets complicated in the church. It's like, so I have to do that? Like for, I have to do that for him to, no, no, no. You get to do that because he loves you. This isn't something that you're like, well, if I share the gospel with seven people, that's one every day and two on Saturday. And maybe God will be, he's already pleased with you. He loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you on the cross to be raised up again on the third day and now he's seated in heavenly places on your behalf. He's seated on your behalf, on my behalf. He's seated there. And as a result of that, we get to carry this gospel, this good news that we've received and you understand that Jesus is seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father specifically for Fill in the blanks with your name. How can you not carry that? How can we not proclaim it? You say, well, I don't know. I don't know how I would even say it. You don't have to. Just open your mouth. Tell them that you met Jesus. And when they ask, what do you mean you met Jesus? The Holy Ghost has promised to give you the words. He has promised and he has never failed. You are not going to be the first person that the Holy Spirit fails. He's never failed anybody yet, but boy, he's going to fail me. No, he won't. He will be faithful. You don't have to have all the answers. You need one answer, Jesus. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are co-inheritors of the family business, operating in all the blessings of heaven. We are not spectators at an event. So much Christianity today is wrapped up in spectating. We're going to go to a conference, and we're going to sit. I, I contemplated this, and actually, I can do it, because Rip is not here. Where is Rip? He's in the nursery. So I, I would like my wife to come up here. She doesn't know about this, but I'd like her to come up here. And, and Trey, could you come up here also? Well, I want to have you guys up on the stage here, and I want, to show, I want to show us. No, this is good. This is good. I know. I've been in trouble before. So, Trey, I'd like, this chair is for you. Melinda, I'd like you to be over here on this side. And this is Trey. So, sit down. We don't put your feet out. Maybe even put your hands behind you. Like, just get comfortable, and as comfortable as you can. Okay. Now, do you remember? I know you're not comfortable. You're not supposed to be. You're on the uncomfortable side. Do you remember when you were in high school, what sport did you participate in that you went to state? Track. So is that how you started out your race? Demonstrate just briefly how you started out. Did you start out like this? No. Did you start out like this? How about this? Did you sitting on the floor? No. What kind of a stance were you in? In the blocks. In the blocks, which is like something like this. Homeschool track, didn't, we didn't run really far. <laughs> so you were down like this, like you were ready to start. So Trey, if you were to race Trey, who would win in that scenario? Probably you. Because he's not ready. Okay, you guys can go sit down. I hope you guys paid attention. Thank you. I know. But it shows us something. So Melinda ran track. She understood getting in the blocks. And there is an aggressive look to when a person, when a runner is in the blocks ready to run, they look aggressive. In fact, even though there's only one winner in those races, 
they look like they're all out to win, don't they? Anybody ever seen a track race start? It's like they all look like they're out for blood. And Trey did not look like he was out for blood. He looked very just like, I'm here viewing something. I'm a spectator. Trey's stance was perfect for someone spectating, someone watching, not someone participating. There was very little participation. Although oftentimes when we sit in that position, we use the next day we use the words like, we almost won. Like, what do you mean we? We was sitting on a chair with our feet up. This is, a big, this is a big dichotomy, a, a study of two, the analysis of two, that as a body of believers, the purpose of this coming together, and it's largely lost on us as a culture, but I think it's coming back. I see it coming back. Where this here is about all of us learning how to get in the blocks. It's about all of us learning what does that aggressive stance look like? How do we launch? What muscles do we strengthen so that when the gun fires, we're ready to run? This is not an exercise in everybody getting as comfortable as you possibly can and prepare to spectate, watch someone share the gospel. I want you guys to see the gospel shared, but I want you to see it the same way that a runner watches their coach say, now when you come out of the blocks, push off with your back foot and then you'll take the next stride with, that's the way we're watching. Watch, let's share the gospel. Let's see the gospel go forth for the purpose of representing the gospel, representing Jesus. Does this make sense? Is this, any, is this dinging any bells? Anybody making sense this morning? The tasks before the church in 2023 are perhaps different in practice than they were in AD 60. Can we agree on that? We don't all live in this building. We did not all bring all the food from our pantries and we dump it in here and we're like, it's different tasks. But in nature, they are exactly the same. The, you understand the difference. In practice, they're different. The nature of them, they're exactly the same. We all have the opportunity before us to participate in this body functioning. And these tasks, whatever they are, do not relegate us to a less than seat on the bus. Is everyone listening to this? The first recorded martyr of the early church and one of the most famous folks in the whole New Testament was tapped to help with food distribution. Menial in its outward appearance and yet the wisdom of God flowed through him in such an undeniable way it got him stoned to death. And that was just the guy distributing food. There's no hierarchy in this body of believers. No greater thans or less thans. We are called and commissioned to carry the gospel regardless of what our task is on a physical basis in here. There are all kinds of you that are involved in all kinds of things here, and yet there are still things that we need help with. We need teachers. We need people participating in all the different roles. In fact, if, you, if your takeaway this morning is, how can I, what's my hundred sandwiches that I can participate in, I invite you to seek Nick, Tammy, any of I don't really know what all the jobs are, so probably stick with one of them. But they will help you find that hundred sandwiches. They will help you find that thing where there's a need, there's something that needs done here. But I invite you, and this is my twofold encouragement. First, if the Lord has tapped your heart to participate in a task, go for it. Don't wait, I don't know if this, just go for it. Sign up, 
We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. We'll lay hands on you. We'll commission you. Step into whatever job is before you knowing that there aren't any menial tasks in the body of Christ. This is your family business. And you have inherited it with Christ. All the blessings of heaven are ours to manage. Just as in an earthly business, someone usually stays late, gets things ready for the next day. Someone usually shows up early to unlock and turn the lights on. Just like that, this body, there's things that nobody knows about that go on. And some of them need some more help. There are things that you might not see, like I don't really know, there's just always coffee back there. Very few people know that Terry and Nick and a handful of you come and you make coffee so that there's coffee to get in the morning. Like I said, a lot of people don't know. How do you listen to the teachings from here online? I honestly don't know what all steps take place, but there are people, Shelby and Olivia and Nick, Jane, all kinds of people that participate in making that happen. They do electrical magic and make it online. But they do it. There's all these different roles filled. You might not know, how do the chairs get back in a line? None of these jobs are menial. None of these tasks are unimportant or less important. It's like, oh, I don't know if that's really that big of a deal. They're all big deals. But I really, my second encouragement is do not allow your task to limit you and your influence. I started down this path and then I got derailed by my own mind a little while ago. There's so much in the body of Christ. There's so many people, and it's been over generations that we've kind of gra gradually got to this point where we sort of take ourselves out of needing to share the gospel with other people outside of here because we're doing a thing here. Now, because I'm on a roll tapping people to participate without talking to them previously, I'm going to just keep that going because this went well so far. And uh, everybody know Chris King? Chris, could you wave at everybody? He sits right in front of the sound thing. So, uh, Chris spoke up here, shared a little bit of his testimony and shared the gospel, I don't know, it's been a couple months ago, I think. August, so it's been a while ago. I'm great with the passage of time. So, but if you haven't, if you don't know him, I encourage you to get to know him. But he, part, he serves our church body here in all kinds of different ways, most of which you may not know. Picking things up, cleaning things up, taking the trash out to the dumpster every week or whatever week is, he's signed up to help with that. And it may seem, those tasks may seem like, that's a little bit menial, you know, but it's not menial. We see in scripture that making sandwiches isn't menial, taking the garbage out is not menial. There are no menial jobs in the body of Christ. But you know, I'm gonna, um, this is why I'm picking on him. I personally know people, the other thing that Chris does is he hauls propane. He does a lot of things, but he works for Trifle and he hauls propane to people. Quickly, he hauls it quickly to people. So, he delivers propane, and it would be very easy, and this is just, I'm using him as an example, and I'm going to apologize to him for not talking to him afterwards. Uh, he, it would be easy for him to say, I do my church thing at church. Like, I help, and he could, he could very easily rock himself to sleep at night with the reality that he helps the gospel go forth by doing the things at the church building. I do that, and that's my thing, Lord. And so when he's out delivering propane, the Lord may tap him and say, hey, uh, I'd, I'd really like you to pray with this gentleman that you're delivering propane. He's like, Lord, I did, weren't you at church on Sunday? I did the stuff. Like, maybe he could come to church. You could talk to him through the preacher. 
or somebody at church. I'm here to deliver propane. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm delivering propane, and I'm going to do my thing next Sunday at church. Do my thing. But I can tell you, I will testify, and I'm not exalting him above anyone else, okay? I'm, not exa- I'm just using him as an example because I've spoken with people that he's prayed with. While he's doing life. So when the Lord taps him, and it's like, this guy needs propane, and he needs the gospel, can you just like, we'll just do two at once. You see, there's things that in our lives, we are involved in people, other people's lives. It's like you imagine a clock. There's all these different gears all turning, and this gear over here can't touch this gear over here except through all these other gears. That's how the gospel works in the church. I can't preach to everybody, and I'm not called to preach to everybody. I'm supposed to help this body, help us stay sharp. And some of you are called to help me stay sharp. We're called to sharpen one another for the purpose that when you're out in the world, you can proclaim the gospel with boldness to anybody and everybody that you encounter. You understand the magnitude of this gospel. It is more than any of us in our natural understanding can comprehend. Eternity is on the next page, and it lasts forever. And the gospel is bigger than eternity. We get to carry that. Don't allow your task to limit you and your influence. Again, it's so, so prevalent in the church today to hear people talking about preachers or worship leaders, missionaries, and how not everyone's called to stand up and preach. Not everybody's called. It's like our easy out. It's like, well, I'm not, because, you know, I'm not called. I'm not called to preach. You are called. You are equipped to share the gospel. Some people, like, we think, like, well, helping in nursery ensures that I won't ever have to preach the gospel. Like, I did my thing in the nursery. No, it doesn't mean you don't have to preach the gospel. If you get born again, it's your job to preach the gospel. You, you don't have to be a proclaimer. Like, well, I'm an I'm introvert. I don't like to, I'm not. I'm saying like, you might say, well, I'm an introvert, so I'm not going to share the gospel. That does not negate your responsibility to carry the gospel. And I say responsibility not in a way like, the Lord's going to be upset with you. This is an opportunity, a tremendous opportunity that is before each of us. This is the greatest news anyone's ever delivered. We have to carry. Our specific tasks within the earthly body of Christ do not identify us in the kingdom. Jesus Christ gave us the identity of sons and daughters. And as such, we will have opportunities to make coffee, to teach kids, to distribute food, to give a ride to somebody, to stand up here and preach and ultimately bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere we go, trusting just as Stephen did in the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit to sustain our witness. I want to read that last little sentence again because if you're going to carry anything from this morning, I want you to carry that your role here does not define you in the kingdom. Rather, you, there's all kinds of stuff to do. As sons and daughters, if you're here today and you're born again, you are a son or a daughter of the king of kings. And as such, you will have opportunities to make coffee. You'll have opportunities to teach kids, to distribute food, to give someone a ride, to stand up here and preach. Ultimately, 
you will have the opportunity to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere that you go. And I invite you to trust in the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Godhead who spoke creation into existence, he will sustain your witness. Most Christians shy from sharing the gospel because they don't know if they can back up what they're sharing. You may think, I'm not going to share the gospel because I'm not perfect. I'm not going to share the gospel because what if they ask me a hard question? I'm not going to share the gospel. You fill in the blank. I'm telling you, church, the Holy Spirit sustains your witness. You know, on a, on a piano, the very right-hand pedal is the sustain pedal. If you push that sustain pedal and then you push a key, you can let up on that key and that sound will carry on. The Holy Spirit does that for your witness of the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will sustain it and carry it on. He will give you the words to speak when you think, I don't know, Lord, this is like a, like a commercial job site. I don't know that I'm supposed to share the gospel here. If he taps you, share the gospel. Let it fly. If you're at work selling something, if you're a cashier, if you're stocking shelves, whatever your job is, if you're walking down the sidewalk pushing a stroller with your kids, you encounter somebody and the Lord taps you, let it ride. Let the gospel flow. He will sustain your witness. Went a little bit long this morning. If you would stand with me, I'd like to dismiss us with a declaration. I pray that this has been an invitation and offered some clarity in your walk with Jesus this morning. We declare this morning with King David that it is the Lord who is our shepherd. As we step into this new year, we do so with confidence. Not confidence born of our own success, but confidence born of the faithfulness of God to be with us even in the valley of the shadow so that we can fear no evil. We declare protection and provision over this body, clarity and peace as we walk by faith. Though this world is not yet fixed, we know that our relationship with the Father is secure in Christ Jesus. And so we proclaim all the promises of God over our lives. Because of Jesus, we declare that we are blessed and highly favored, blessed in the city and blessed in the country, when we rise in the morning and when we lie down at night. Here at the rock, we believe that God has appointed us to strong biblical marriages, raising up godly kids in the admonition and the fear of the Lord. Regardless of what the world says, we know beyond shadow of all doubt that the word of God is the only and the ultimate source of truth. By this word, we choose to live our lives and anchor all of our hope. Heavenly Father, Seven that would have lost hope had hope to be the goodness of the Lord that we're living in. Lord, we sang that this morning and we believe that with all of our hearts. Days that we lie ahead of us in this morning, we will see the goodness of the Lord. Believe that. Well up on the inside of this body.
person in here, you have a significant thing. A job. That to the world may look menial. Maybe it looks glorious. But 